Good morning. This is Jake Brown, and I'm the preacher at Liberty Christian Church in beautiful Madison, Indiana. We meet every Sunday at 10.30 a.m., and you can find us at 8774 North U.S. Highway 421, Madison, Indiana. We love to meet new people, and we love to make ourselves available to help others learn the true story of who Jesus is what he did, why he did it, and how to personally get in on the story. Well, it's just about time for the sermon to start, so turn up the volume, tune out the distractions, and it's my prayer that you find this morning's message engaging and meaningful. Welcome back to Paul's letters to the Thessalonians. Uh, We took a a planned break from this sermon series to discuss the power and the purpose of the gospel uh, back on Resurrection Sunday. But today, after an extra week off for me due to COVID, we're jumping back into Paul's letters to the Thessalonians. This morning, we're actually ready to finish up Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. Uh, Back on March 28th, we covered chapter 4, verse 13, up through chapter 5, verse 11. We talked about those resurrection lessons. Maybe you remember. Uh, This section of Scripture covered those famous words from the Apostle Paul, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. You remember Paul's famous words and uh, the the many that followed? Uh, We spent some time working through these resurrection lessons verse by verse. Remember, Paul was informing the Thessalonians about the future resurrections of faithful Christians. And using those lessons that we learned, Paul said, comfort one another and encourage one another and build up one another with these words. I'm not trying to re-preach that message to you. I'm just trying to get our heads back into the game, back into this sermon series. I'm trying to get our minds back where Paul was when we stopped reading this letter a couple of weeks ago now. This morning, we're pressing on, though, like I said, finishing up Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians here with a sermon I'm calling Challenged Standards. I'm calling this message Challenged Standards because the last several verses of Paul's letter here share with the Thessalonians some instructions that would certainly challenge their standards. And if we'll pay attention and treat this seriously ourselves this morning, Paul's words are going to challenge our standards as well. So let's jump into our text this morning, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting in verse 12, and we'll read through uh, to the the end of the chapter, the end of the letter, uh, that's verse 28, 12 through 28 here in chapter 5. In these verses, Paul is going to throw out a variety of challenges, and I do mean variety here, and we're just going to go through them one by one, discussing each of them as we go along here. So the first challenge that Paul gives is this respect church leaders. Look at verse 12 here with me. It says, but we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. So, Men who do these jobs, right, preachers, elders, deacons, teachers, church leadership is what we're talking about here. These guys are to be honored and respected, not according to my opinion, according to the scriptures, 
According to the scriptures, we are to honor and respect and highly esteem these guys in love. It's possible that some of the Thessalonians were having trouble submitting to the authority of these men whom Paul had appointed to lead the church in Thessalonica. It could be that some were not fully understanding and cherishing the wonderful work that these men were doing among them. That's what this word appreciate means. It means to know their worth. It's quite possible that Paul had to appoint some fairly new Christians to these leadership roles. We don't know for sure, but we certainly suppose these guys would have been from Thessalonica, and so they would have only recently become Christians with the rest of these Thessalonians. So maybe Paul needed to tell them this because they were struggling just a bit to appreciate these men like they should now that they were in these God-given roles while just a short period of time earlier, they were on the same level, so to speak. And they were still on the same level as far as their their value and their worth, but now they held these positions that the scriptures call for them to have this high level of respect. It's at least possible that this was why Paul had to share this with them. Well, what's our excuse now? In the Christian church today, many of our church leaders are seasoned guys, guys with years of study, guys with years of on-the-job experience, guys who are proven to our congregations, guys who have been there a long time laboring with these people. And we've had this teaching from Paul now in circulation for around 1,970 years. So why do we struggle to appreciate our church leaders like we should? Why do, we, why do we struggle to fully know the worth of those who diligently labor among us and have charge over us in the Lord and give us instruction? This is kind of hard for me to say because I'm much more comfortable uh, just being super humble rather than calling for more respect. But if I'm honest, I don't see enough respect being shown to evangelists, to elders, to deacons, li- like there should be. We hire and fire these guys like it's nobody's business. We crack jokes about the preacher. We complain about sermon lengths. We talk behind the deacon's backs. And I'm just as guilty as the next guy. But we need to learn from this. Men who are doing the work of the Lord require respect according to the word of God. And as I see it, I and a large group of us have failed to handle this as we should. It's high time for all of us to repent and to ask God for forgiveness for this sinful attitude that we've had for so long. And here's the good news. I'm confident that God would bless us if we made a genuine effort to respect and highly esteem those whom God has allowed and or placed into leadership roles in his church. Challenge number two is this. Give the brethren what they need. Give the brethren what they need. And let's look at verse 14, and I think this will kind of explain what, what I mean here. Verse 14 says, We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. You've probably heard the the saying, different strokes for different folks, right? Well, Paul shows us here how different people need to be handled in different ways. 
The unruly, he says, need to be warned. These undisciplined folks need some tough love. They need it explained to them just what they might have coming to them if they don't fall in line with the word of God. The word that Paul uses here for unruly, it's a military term that refers to soldiers who were out of rank or or who who, uh, deserted their post and weren't performing their proper duty as soldiers. So, As great as some of the Christians apparently were there in Thessalonica, it seems that there were at least some who were more than just idle. They were refusing to work. Maybe Paul is still talking about those who were able-bodied but wouldn't work. Remember he talked about these guys earlier in the letter, those lazy Christians who were living off the Christians who would work. Or maybe Paul's referring to those who weren't doing their duty as soldiers in the Lord's army. They weren't living the Christian life out there uh, for all the world to see. They weren't evangelizing. They weren't doing what they should as Christians. Either way, we know for sure that Paul is definitely referring to those who aren't fulfilling their responsibilities, those who aren't doing the things they know they're supposed to be doing. Paul says we need to admonish, which means warn. We need to admonish these people. We need to warn them. As I said before, these unruly ones, these loafers, these undisciplined or lazy ones need to be warned about the consequences of their actions. Their actions could stunt the growth of the whole congregation. Their actions could arrest the progress of the church. And apparently, if not repented of, their actions will result in their own individual punishment. That much is obvious. So these ones need to be warned. And on the flip side, if you find yourself slipping into this lifestyle, you need to be open to receiving these warnings. You need to expect and appreciate being admonished by someone who has the guts and the love for you to do so. Now, besides the unruly, Paul also covers the faint-hearted. And the faint-hearted those who uh, perhaps are discouraged and spiritually wearing down, they need to be encouraged, Paul says. They need kind words. They need inspiring words. They need to be shown the incentive to keep on keeping on, right? The faint-hearted are often faint-hearted because they just aren't spiritually mature enough to handle the difficulties that the world is throwing at them. They're easily discouraged by difficult circumstances. They're easily worried. They're easily distressed, Now, for those who are more mature or even those who just simply don't care as much as they should, it's easy to think, what's their problem? You know, why don't they just become more mature? Why do they let all this stuff bother them so much? But that's not what we're told to do. And if we'd step back and really think about the situation for a moment, we would realize that those questions are way out of line. Think about it like this. Earlier in Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, he said that he cared for them like a father for his own children. Now, I believe he shared that example with us for a reason. I believe he shared that picture with us for a reason. If we think about children for a moment, were they always as mature as us? (laughs) Could they always handle difficult circumstances like we could? Of course not. Of course not. Now, did we want them to grow? and mature so that they could handle all these things, all that the world might throw at them one day? Of course, right? Where they were wasn't where we wanted them to stay, but we didn't uh, look down on them for that. We didn't handle it in an immature way. We handled it in a mature way like a parent would. Well, the Apostle Paul wants us to handle our faint-hearted brothers and sisters in Christ in a similar fashion, I believe. 
Yes, we understand that they could be more mature. They could be in a position that's better prepared to face the cruel world. But the reality is they aren't right now. They're not. And it's our obligation to treat them wisely. They don't need us talking down to them. That's not helpful. They don't need us telling them to quit being so sensitive. That's not edifying. They need encouragement. Next on Paul's list are the weak. Paul says the weak need help. They don't need to be overlooked. They don't need to be ignored. They don't need to be made to feel less than because they are weak. They need to be helped, Paul says. The world tells us that um, only the strong survive, right? We're made to believe that we live in this constant competition where it's survival of the fittest. Kill or be killed. Well, that's the law of the jungle. But we're not in the jungle. We're in Christ. The law of Christ is found in Romans 15, verse 1. Scripture says there, Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Now we have to understand the context here. This is not specifically talking about those who are physically weak, but spiritually weak. Right? Every congregation of believers has those who are spiritually weak, weak in their knowledge of the scriptures, weak in their understanding, weak in their convictions, weak in a variety of ways, spiritually speaking. We need to help them, bear them up, lead them, show them, teach them, stick with them. These three groups, the unruly, the faint-hearted, and the weak, are all present even here at Liberty Christian Church. These three groups are found in every congregation of the Lord's Church. And it is our obligation as Christians to identify these people, these situations, and to provide for these people the way the Apostle Paul instructs us here. And beyond these three groups, Paul says to be patient with everyone. Does patience come easy for you? If so, what a, what a blessing you have. If you're like a lot of us and patience isn't easy for you, this is going to take some effort. We're going to have to work at this. And I mean have to work at this. We've got to understand this is not an optional thing. We can't just um, check out and say, well, I'm not a patient person, so this doesn't apply to me. We are required to do this. We're required to love the brethren and everyone deserves our patience. Challenge number three is a familiar one. It says, uh, don't take revenge. That's challenge number three. Don't take revenge. And check out verse 15. Paul writes, see that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. If evil is done to us, we need to remember that God is to be the avenger for those things, not us. We need to focus on loving others, which is essentially defined as exactly what Paul says in this verse, in that second half. He's a seeking after that which is good for one another and for all people. That's what we ought to be doing instead. Retaliation is not the way of the Christian. Now, this was uncommon for the ancient non-Christian world, right? Ancient society accepted and promoted retaliation. And along comes Jesus saying things like, You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. Jesus said that in Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 and 39. 
even though our culture has been more heavily influenced by Christianity than what the first century Thessalonians were certainly surrounded by, our country is terribly guilty of promoting revenge. If you look at our TV shows, our movies, our music, and our books, we worship the notion of revenge. I mean, we really get into that stuff. We want to see it. We want to hear it. We want to read about it. We want to know about it. We want to participate in it in some way. Christian, you better be very careful what you let into your mind. Revenge is not to be on our minds or coming out in our behaviors. Instead, as Paul says here, strive to do what is good for others. Challenge number four is an enjoyable one if we'll actually put it into practice, and that's this. Rejoice, pray, and give thanks. That's challenge number four. Rejoice, pray, and give thanks. Verse 16 says, rejoice always. Just two words, rejoice always. Pretty simple. When we're in Christ, there's always something to be rejoicing over. Verse 17 says, pray without ceasing. Again, a short verse, a simple verse. Guys, a constant line of communication should be open between us and God. Verse 18 says, in everything, give thanks. When you're in Christ, again, there's always plenty to be thankful for. After all, we're not entitled to one good thing. We've done nothing to deserve a single blessing from the God of all creation And yet, we have many things to be thankful for. And in every situation, there is something to be thankful for. And now look at the second half of verse 18. It says, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So you ask yourself, what's God's will for us? What does he desire from us? Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. Again, this particular challenge is short and sweet, simple to understand, and as I said before, it's actually quite enjoyable if we'll obey it. Rejoice, pray, and give thanks. Challenge number five is this. Go with the Spirit. Go with the Spirit. Check out verses 19 and 20 with me here. Paul writes, Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances. All right. Paul compares the spirit here to something that can be quenched, perhaps something like a fire, perhaps as the spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 and certainly was described with fire-like qualities, right? No doubt in the first century at the time that Paul was writing to the Thessalonians, there were men at that time speaking in other tongues, now in a way that actually edified the church. And there were men prophesying, inspired by God. Their words were given to them by God, again, in a way that edified the church. And Paul seems to be saying, don't try to stop these men from exercising their gifts of the Holy Spirit. Perhaps there were men in the Thessalonian church who were not appreciating these God-given gifts like they should. We don't have time to unpack 1 Corinthians chapter 13 this morning, but suffice it to say, Paul tells us there, and I'm paraphrasing, but Paul tells us there in 1 Corinthians 13 that when that which is perfect comes, 
these miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit will cease to be needed, their purpose will go away, and so they will cease to exist. Well, we are now living in the time when that which is perfect has come. God's final plan for our salvation has been accomplished. That door has been swung wide open, and we have that which is perfect, the the complete revelation from God written down for us in our 66 books of the Bible. The proof of that completeness of our scriptures has been shown in a variety of ways, but again, unfortunately, we don't have the time to chase that particular rabbit this morning, but I say all of that to tell you this, that when Paul was saying all this to these Thessalonians, he was almost certainly referring to miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit that men were suppressing. So the lesson for us in this uh, era where that purpose has gone away, and so those miraculous gifts have gone away, we don't have that happening now. The lesson for us is as simple as this. Number one, don't try to throw cold water on that which the Holy Spirit has clearly called us to do through his written word. And number two, do not despise the prophetic utterances that are found in his written word. It's really as simple as that. Now, in verses 21 and 22, Paul writes, but examine everything carefully, right? First, he says what we see in verse 19 and 20, don't quench the spirit, don't despise prophetic utterances, but, verse 21 says, examine everything carefully, hold fast to that which is good, abstain from every form of evil. So don't quench a spirit, don't despise these prophetic utterances, instead do these things, right? The Christian life is, is not one to be lived on autopilot here. We need to carefully consider everything. We need to be these measured people. We need to uh, give thought to everything that we hear and everything we consider doing. Hold fast to that which is good and abstain from even the appearance of evil. Now, you can split hairs all you want about what gives the appearance of evil, but let me suggest something for you to try, just an experiment, just an idea, maybe a filter that you should um, use in your life. Consider what Jesus went through on the cross to save you from the death that your sin brings. Consider the severe beating Consider the shocking loss of blood. Consider the torn flesh, the exposed bones, the exposed nerves, the bones that were out of joint, the nails through his hands and feet, the misery of the cross, the mental agony, and the shameful exposure. Then and only then, consider just how close you think you ought to get to sin. Paul says if it looks wrong, stay away. Does anybody need to repent this morning? Go with the Spirit. And here's how Paul closes, and this is how I'll close. Verse 23, he says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. We've heard all this through Paul's letter already. We've already talked about all these things. May the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you, and he also will bring it to pass. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I adjure you by the Lord to have this letter read to all the brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And with that, Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians is complete. 
Paul gave this variety of challenges to the Thessalonian church, and I pray that we learn from each and every single one of these challenges. What a strong and mature church we could be. What a God-glorifying church we could be if we would actually begin to put these challenges into practice in our lives. Respect church leaders. Give the brethren what they really need. Don't take revenge. Rejoice, pray, and give thanks. And finally, go with the Spirit. Church, let's not just talk about these powerful challenges from the Apostle Paul to the, to the Christian church. Let's accept these challenges. As James says in James 1.22, prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. As we finish things up here this morning, I want to show you a reality that's in the scriptures that we need to deal with. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 through 9, scripture says there's coming a day when the Lord Jesus Christ will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Who did this passage of scripture say was going to pay the penalty of eternal destruction? Well, there are two groups listed, right? Number one, those who do not know God. And secondly, those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Now, Maybe you know God. I hope you do. But let me ask you this. Have you obeyed the gospel? Before you answer that, let's make sure we know what the gospel is. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, the Apostle Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So the gospel is the power of God for salvation. But what is it? What is the gospel? We know what it does. We know uh, the power that it holds, but what is the gospel? Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4, the Bible interprets itself here. The, the Apostle Paul writes, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So, there are three main statements that make up the gospel. Christ died for our sins, Christ was buried, Christ was raised on the third day. The Bible teaches us that his death paid the price for our sin and his resurrection made eternal life possible for us. So now that we understand what the gospel is, let's get back to our question, how do we obey the gospel? I want to read Romans chapter 6, just verses 3 and 4 for you, and I want you to listen and see if you can hear all three parts of the gospel being played out here, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. The Bible says here in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been 
buried with him through baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Did you catch that? Did you find the three parts of the gospel there? When we are baptized, the Bible says, we are baptized into Christ's death. When we are baptized, the Bible says, we are buried with Christ. And finally, when we are baptized, we are raised up as Christ was raised from the dead so that we too will walk in newness of life. Now folks, the Bible makes it clear you must believe that Jesus is who the Bible says he is. According to several scriptures, for instance, Matthew 16, 16, John 1, 1, John 1, 14, John 8, 58, Colossians 2, 9, and Hebrews 1, 8. According to those passages, we learn that Jesus is the Christ, the one who would come to save us from our sins. We learn that he is the son of the living God. We learn that he himself is God, one of the three distinct personalities that make up God. And we learn that he is God the son who came to earth in human form. Folks, we must hear the gospel and believe it. We must trust Jesus completely. We must make a distinct turn away from sinful living and toward God's holiness and righteousness. The Bible calls this change in our behavior, repentance. We must confess our belief that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And of course, we must obey the gospel through baptism. That's where we're immersed in water by the authority of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. This is indeed where we are baptized into Christ's death, into his burial, and raised up to newness of life by the power of God, the same power that raised Jesus from death. And Acts 2.38 and Acts 22.16 make it clear that at our baptism, our sins are forgiven, washed away. 1 Peter 3.21 literally says, baptism saves us. Galatians 3.26-27 teaches us that through faith and as a result of our baptism, we become children of God, clothed with Christ. If you haven't obeyed the gospel, keep listening and we'll tell you how you can get in touch with us in just a moment. I'm Jake Brown, and on behalf of the church, I want to thank you for listening to today's broadcast. If you'd like to get in touch with us, just call 812-273-1518. Or you can also reach out to us on Facebook by searching for Liberty Christian Church, Madison, Indiana. Or you can send us a message directly from our website, wwwliberty Christian.com. But again, we'd love to have you join us in person if you're physically able to do so. We love you, God loves you, and it is our prayer that He will bless you this week as you seek His truth. Hey.